The Bible says that iron sharpeneth iron in Proverbs 27, 17, and that's the goal of this podcast, for you and I to learn from Christians whose heart's desire is to serve and please God. I pray that this discussion will challenge and inspire you to do more for our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the fourth episode with Pastor Jay Reed. I was helped, and I hope you will be as well. Welcome to Micah McCurry Live. Five, four, three, two, one. And I believe we are live with Pastor Jay Reed, a, uh, um, I don't know what I, what I, call you of mine a um acquaintance of mine something like that um we can be friends we can be friends there you go purposes of the interview we'll leave it at that it's an interesting you can unfriend um, me later uh well i I don't think i'll do that but (laughs) i i I think um it's an interesting interplay with folks that are older than me what do i you know what do i call them are they acquaintances mentors heroes the lofty terms things like that and uh so anyway pastor jay reed would you give the folks a howdy for just a second and maybe give them a very quick introduction to who you are well howdy my name is jay reed i pastor just north of atlanta Shiro baptist church and i have had uh, the pleasure of being here about nine years I was 14 years an assistant pastor. Um, nine of those years were with uh, Brother Keith Gomez in Elgin, and then five of those years were with uh, Pastor Tim Lacoste in Bat- just outside of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Graduate of Howells Anderson, and in '95 is where I met my wife Shannon, and we've been married I think 23 years. I probably ought to remember that. Valentine's anyway. Day is coming up. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> 25 or let's see, got married in 95. So y'all do the math on that. But uh, anyway, I've uh, had a wonderful life, uh, me and Jimmy Stewart. And I've uh, had the pleasure of meeting some interesting people down the way. And uh, Brother Micah is one of those. So. Well, there you go. Not the most interesting man in the world, just one of many interesting people. No, he does commercials. Yes, yes, yes. So, Pastor Reed is, uh, we'll call him a friend. Um, I'm trying to remember my first recollection of you. Um, Might be visiting. Yeah, it would have been football. That that would have been the very first time. Trying to think if I visited Northwest before (laughs) that, but but I, I can't remember if it was before or right after that, but Pastor Reed was a coach of mine at the Midwest Christian Boys Football Camp my very first year. Uh, won the JV Super Bowl with Brother Ballard and his dad, uh, Brother Sam Reed. And so uh, had a good time with that. Great introduction. A uh, good way to start a football career. Uh, we won't talk about the intervening uh, six or seven years I was there. But um, yes, and then I got to obviously observe you as a youth pastor or uh, man of many hats, I'm sure, at um, Northwest Battle Baptist Church. And mm-hmm. so what I appreciate him taking the time, he and I um, share a few similarities, um, one of which is an interest in an enjoyment of reading um, and specific genres that we kind of enjoy <laughs> and things like that. Um, well, so many different <laughs> avenues we could we could we could take. Um, and I, I don't know how deep into that particular avenue we want to go but all that to say what are some of the the minute you, you mentioned being an assistant pastor 
you uh, mentioned, and I, I you know, said youth pastor, and I believe that to be true. But what are some of the different hats that you've worn? Obviously, you're senior pastor right now. What are the, men, the some of the hats that you've worn in your time? Well, any assistant pastor is in charge of two things, well, regardless of what his title is. He's in charge of stuff, and he's in charge of blame. And if you can be in charge of stuff and blame, you'll always have a job. Because uh, it, the ministry is about as predictable as cat herding, and there's always someone that needs to be blamed for something. So if you can do that well, if you can, uh, if you can, if you're very good at groveling, uh, if you can maintain your dignity while admitting to all manner of malfeasance, you'll always have a job. Um, now I started off. I thought I would be in youth and music. That's where I was going. Um, my original plan was to fly for the Navy, and I had a scholarship to MB Riddle Aeronautical down in Daytona Beach, and I was going to do my four down there and then uh, go in OCS in the Navy and fly airplanes. That's what I wanted to do. And my father persuaded me to go a year to Hiles Anderson, and that first year God called me to preach, and that kind of changed everything. And I never lost my love of all things, you know, all things military, and you know, I'd learned everything I could as a civilian about every branch of the service, and um, but it just. And, it, you know, it's come in handy. It allows me to talk to people about a number of different things. I mean, you come from that background uh, with your, both your dad and mom, mm-hmm. albeit in the Army, but you know, some things can't be helped. Um, but we're uh, we're bumping along, you know, with our plan, and, and the Lord had his plan, and I've, I've enjoyed his, I think, a lot better than I would have liked mine. We um, So I went off to Bible college, and like I said, the Lord called me to preach. I always thought it would be youth and music, and the last thing I ever wanted to do was teach in a Christian school. And the first place the Lord led us was to teach in a Christian school. And honestly, that day-to-day interaction turned out to be far more fruitful with the young people I interacted with five days a week rather than just on Sundays and Wednesdays and maybe Saturdays, and to teach them every day in a Bible class. And a lot of the philosophical transfer that I have, I'm not going to say I'm known for, but I, I can note in the lives of people, um, I was able to transfer to those young people. And a lot of them are still serving, you know, nobody bats a thousand, but a lot of them are still serving the Lord. A lot of moms are staying home with their kids and making that their primary ministry. And and it's, um, and I learned to love uh, teaching. I didn't know that that was how I was oriented. Um, if you, we had to preach one time in high school. Uh, I went to a Christian school, 10th, 11th, 12th grade year of public school up until then. And one of the things they had the senior guys do was preach a message. And it was horrific. In fact, when God called me to preach, I argued for a while because he and I both knew how disastrous that one little preaching event had been. And I, I kind of made him a promise that I would never do that to him or anybody else again. And so when he called me to preach, my brother was a preacher. I figured, you know, that was good for him. But I, whatever the gene was, I didn't have it. And finally, my surrender to preach was a surrender to be humiliated the rest of my life because it was going to be awful. But God had a sense of humor. And 
I, I believe when the Lord called me, he changed something or unlocked something inside of me or put something in me. But anyway, I developed a love for preaching and teaching, and I taught those years for five years and thought I would go from there to pastor. And year five, Brother Gomez, um, who's from the area, came down and was looking to hire a staff guy. I had met him a couple of weeks before at Brother Hiles' funeral. I'd never met him before. And I went to Brother Hiles' funeral and, and ended up at a table at a Mexican restaurant. And he and a bunch of guys I didn't know turned out it was Dan Woodward and Cecil Ballard and Terry Angel were at one end of the table. And I was on the other end of the table with uh, Pastor Bob Smith, who I did know, and my brother. And I introduced myself to Brother Gomez on the way out. He said he felt led to pray for me. And he wrote my name on a napkin, I think. A few days later, his uh, assistant, one of his assistant pastors, um, went to take a church, and he put uh, two and two together and decided he ought to give me a call. And so I went from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, up to Elgin, Illinois for nine years and landed in an absolute perfect situation. Um, the young people were, I think, good young people, but... Um, I don't want to say neglected. Uh, the guy there uh, loved the young people, but he, he was a little older, and and there were some strong negative influences that had been marginalized and were kind of picking off kids going the wrong way, and it kind of ended up as an us-and-them youth department. And I came in. I was younger, um, and I, I'm interested in all kinds of things. I could, you know, I can converse with people. I'm decently funny. And I like I like to play sports, and so I was able to kind of grab the hearts of the young people and form a cohesiveness in the group that turned out to. I mean, it was phenomenal for years. We were. I knew when I was done, but I also knew when the Lord put us there that it was the absolute right time. And you know, those guys are all over the place serving God now, and it's just been it was an awesome ride. It really was, and the the bones were there. The 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 and really probably the greatest thing any youth pastor can have is a good set of parents and they had those and they just needed that kind of middle manager to you know I wasn't threatening I wasn't the school I was just a guy that wanted to have fun but I was repeating a message that that their parents and brother Gomez were had been saying I may have dressed it up a little more youngish but um it became fun to do the right thing and we had a ride. And then from there, I met with Brother Gomez and I told him, I said, I'm feeling a little long in the tooth for youth work. Some guys do it forever, but I, you know, I'd been in youth work for 14 years and that was, it felt to me like I was moving from the us team to the them team. And I, I don't know. You just got to get a sense of things. I had their attention, but maybe not their imagination anymore. And I thought a younger guy could bring a little more. So I, I went and talked to Brother Gomez about maybe moving within the ministry to young couples. And he talked to me about pastoring and, you know, when was I going to do that? I'm not getting any younger. And I'm like, well, I guess I thought God would open a door. <laughs> and anyway, he said, well, we'll look at uh, starting a young couples ministry. And I think you'll be great for that. But uh, let's pray about what the Lord has for you. And again, it was two weeks. I know the Lord always works in two-week increments in my life. But in two weeks, a church in Georgia, Peachy Road Baptist Church, 
at one time had been, you know, over a thousand people coming was down to about 80. Uh, by the time the smoke cleared, I had about 65, but, uh, they wanted brother Gomez to come pastor. And he's like, eh, I got this thing a little bit too far in debt, but I may have a guy. And he introduced me to them and I went down and preached several times. They voted a hundred percent. Some of them wish they'd get that vote back, but you know, history, history, peer pressure and all. And that, that was a funny story. They had um, a closed circuit monitoring system and they had these TVs set all up. So when they went to vote, they put me in an office that had a TV in it and the TV was off. And, you know, I'm just I'm no good at sitting still. So I'm starting to play with everything. And I turn the TV on and it's the auditorium and I can see the congregation. And I'm like, I'm going to know who voted for me and who didn't. <laughs> you just thought this was a secret ballot. I was looking. I don't know that I've told that to this day. <laughs> I'm glad it was 100 percent or I would have had a real hard time with some people, you know, like right. you didn't vote for me. But we came here nine years ago and, you know, we're, I'm bumping along. Last Sunday, uh, we had about 220 and it's growing, you know, not as fast as I like. And if I quit running people off, I think that's probably Brother Gomez's influence. And I hope he watches this so he knows <laughs> how deleterious his influence was in my life. He goes, we don't split, we splinter. And that's, you know, I'm always in the habit of running people off every now and again, just for the health of the church, right? There you go. Now, so I've been here nine years and uh, loving every minute of it. Awesome. Now, not to backtrack too far into what you're saying, but the snippet you said, the philosophy that you said, maybe not known for, but kind of one that you espouse. Could, could we flesh that out a little bit mm -hmm. as far as in just the context of what you're talking about? Are you saying more of just an every Christianity being everyday discipline or, or what, what about um, your philosophy? Do you think that you, that you were able to transfer and what is the philosophy, I guess, first in the first place? Well, that, that all of us, I'm very much a believer in much given much required. Like, you know, guy gets saved off the street and, you know, he has an obligation to what God has given him throughout his life yes but from the moment of salvation forward especially but that obligation is much different than a, than a christian young person who grows up in a christian school um if god has given you all of that training for all of those years that's because he expects a lot more of you and it has been my experience that christian school young people who go out and don't serve the lord don't do well at anything. And I don't believe that God will let them. I, I just think that you need to understand that if you were given that level, and that doesn't mean everyone's called to ministry, but we're all called to minister and we're all, we're all supposed to be part of the plan and your life has to be centered around serving. And you're going to, you I mean, you're in youth work and, and you've seen it. But if a, a, if a young person who's been given that level of investment, decides to live secularly, God won't bless it. And he can't. And so I've just tried to convince young people that um, in a medieval period, <clears throat> and it transfers, I guess, to the modern day, but there was the, the noblesse oblige, um, the obligation of nobility. If you're of high birth and stature, you have an obligation for service. In fact, you know, Harry and William, still had to join the armed forces, right? And, and there's an obligation of service. And I really think 
that when you are given this level of investment as a Christian young person, you have an, you have an obligation of service. You have to serve. And it, it was a, I think Northwest and some other, and, and, and open door when we were there, it was a blessing because it's, it's two edged sword. You know, you raise these kids up and then they go serve, you know, Mark up Shindex down at Trinity and Arlington and, and um, Austin Marriott's and First Baptist in, in, in uh, Toad Suck, Illinois, <laughs> otherwise known as White. Uh, Mick is down with uh, Brother Angel and uh, Johnny Rabados in Mississippi. And, you know, the guys spread out to the four winds, but they're, they're serving the Lord wherever they are, and they're, they're reproducing themselves in young people. And it's just... For a long time, it seemed like our youth department was – and there's a fair number that stayed. I mean, Joel is the pastor at Northwest – our youth pastor at Northwest. He doesn't want to be the pastor. Um, and and uh, the assistant pastor is uh, Jake Robideau now. He took Brother Anderson's spot, um, if anybody could do that. Um, really, the way you do that is start piling papers up in offices. Um, so a lot of the guys – you know, some of the guys stayed there, but a lot of them just gone, and the, and the gals have gone – to serve the Lord around the world. And it, it allows you to reproduce that, that ministry philosophy uh, everywhere. And it's, like I said, it's just been a wild ride. It has. And sure. I've got, I got a lot of, uh, of young people in ministry now that, that are a blessing. And again, I, by no means am I the prime mover, but I'm part of the, the equation. Sure. The Lord let me have a part, and you know their mom and dad were a part, um, and a huge part. Brother Gomez was a huge part. I was part of it. Uh, Providence, you know, a lot of them. Went, um, good night, just about all of them went through Providence, Providence Baptist College. So my extension, Doctor Hall, and, and staff there. But it's just been it's been neat. And then you know I was able to teach at the college for several years, and so you kind of get to. So first, there's the obligation to serve. You have to serve. Second is that a young lady's and here's where I get off into a field. Um, God calls young men. And then that's all you'll ever find in the Bible, by the way, God calls a young man. Now, when girls stand up, say I'm called to full-time service. I don't say, sit down, get thee behind me, Satan. That's between them and God. I'm just saying, biblically speaking, God calls young men. And then God calls a young woman to a young man and their purposes intertwined. The two become one. The man leads it and the woman enables his leadership. But her primary role is to her husband first and to her children and then to whatever else after that. Um, The Bible is very clear that a woman's primary obediences to her husband as, as the, as the church is subject to Christ. So let the wife be subject to the husband and everything. And we've gotten, we've gotten a little of field where we think it's more important to pull women out of the home and into positions and away from children. And I got in trouble right off the bat on that. And I'm a pastor now and, you know, I'm, I'm about as apolitical as I get. I'm, I'm in, I'm in toad suck, Georgia. So it doesn't matter, you know, what I say, but the greatest ministry my wife has is me. The second greatest ministry she has is our children, and that's it. And so she was, we were, the first year we went into ministry, we were both teaching, and she's an excellent teacher. 
And so when she we she was with child with Austin, uh, we went to the pastor of the church and we said, hey, um, we're going to have to, you know, have this baby and Shannon's going to be at home to raise the baby. And I had made that clear when I went to work for him, but apparently memories can be short sometimes. And he said, uh, okay, well, how long will she be out? And, uh, you know, thinking maybe she'll miss one school year because she was a real asset to the Christian school. And I said, oh, I don't know, 18 years or so. (laughs) That's if we don't have more children. And he played hardball with me. He's like, well, I don't know how you can live on one one, one income like that. And I'm like, well, you hired me full time, but I had to go to heads over it. Because some people have the philosophy that it's more important what a woman does out there than what she does at home. And as far as I know, that's not biblical. And so a philosophy, if, if I want anything to trail you know, behind me, and I've seen it in our church, and you know, I've, got, I've got young men who have gotten out of the whole, we've got to have two incomes— and gotten their their wives at home, and now their children will be raised in a biblical model. And it's no. Our problem is we we get all we get ministry sprawl, and we have to fill in all these different spots. And women, let's face it, women typically are more organized than men. And when it comes to teaching in the younger grades, you probably want one there rather than a man. Um, and you know, there's some things that they handle. God gives them an organizational ability that is awesome in the workforce out there. You know, that that ability to multitask the way that they can. And I got a little illustration I do sometimes where I talk about all that a woman does, you know, and I've, and I, I've got her juggling chainsaws and, and, you know, lit candles and and saw blades and all this sort of thing. And she's just doing it effortlessly and keeping all of it going. And, and then I'm like, and here I am as a man, you know, my wife's doing all this, but if I ever cook a meal, she has to acknowledge the fact that I cook a meal. I'm juggling like one tennis ball and I wanted to be proud of me for doing it. And if I ever try, if I tried to cook a meal and keep an eye on the kids, something would burn or someone would get lost. And so they have this innate ability to multitask. And by the way, the Apostle Paul said it best. He said, this one thing I do. And, but they have the ability to multitask and they have the ability to be you know, hyper-organized. And those are, those are coveted um, assets in any ministry. You want that. But the reason God gave them that primarily is to be that asset for their husband and to be that for their children. And so, you know, I've had some uncomfortable positions in times when I'm, I'm laying this out, and I can lay it out biblically. And, but in ministry, you're always going to find out that there, there are going to be there's going to be friction between practical and biblical, and you better choose biblical, because if you start hedging Bible in order to to meet the practical needs of the ministry, well, in the ideal world, you know this works or that works. I, I guess you can tell I'm passionate about this nonsense because I just go on and on. I don't want to fill up the airways with it. But if you start hedging Bible to fill practical, the practical aspects of the ministry, and then, you, then you'll start saying, like, well, you know, that works in an ideal setting. Well, no, that works in a biblical setting. And as far as I know, God blesses the biblical 
not the practical. I don't, I don't know how practical many of the things people did in Hebrews 11, but they were all biblical and they're all faith. And all of it requires faith because the natural man would say, well, if my wife and I both work, we have more income and that's a better thing. And, you know, we can, we can put the kid in the daycare at, at six months. And I don't know that God, God told a father to raise his children, the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is, that is his directive for the dad. Um, and, and since two become one, that is, that is the admonition to a parent. That is not something that we're to farm out. You can farm out trash collection, but don't farm out raising your children to sit in a swing in a daycare, you know, and they only get attention when they cry out and somebody else hears their first words and watches their first steps. And I, I really think we're, we've hurt ourselves as a country because obviously the meltdown of the family and children don't understand love the way they should because they haven't experienced it from their mother. The mother is the person who forsakes everything that she could be. Um, I mean, she starts out, you know, by having a child and misshaping her body terribly and going through all of that and then all the sleepless nights. But it doesn't just end there. It's yes, she could be doing something else, but she chooses to focus her energy on this child. And that child experiences love in an unmistakable fashion. And it, it, it's indelibly imprinted on them. They know the rest of their life, what love looks like. And when they look at Calvary, they understand the same self selflessness there. They understand that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness. So it is, if I've left any mark, if I want to live any mark, it's to, it's to hang on to the idea of traditional roles in marriage and family and that that doesn't conflict with serving God. You don't have to give one up. Now, you may have to take a stand, but, you know, we're independent Baptists. We're supposed to be good at that, right? And sometimes the stands aren't out there. Sometimes the stands are where you're working. And I've done it, and I think the Lord has blessed me for it. And I happened to marry really, really, like, way over my head. And that that was... uh. <laughs> I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I'm married way, way. One more story and then you can go over. I, I would always say to people, I would always say something like this. You need to marry up. And my dad said that to me. So I was just repeating what he said. And so I, I, I would tell people everywhere, well, my dad said marry up and I married up. And I would kind of look at my wife and smile when I did that, like, baby, I married up. And she would kind of nod her head and smile because she knew it was true. But one day she had this horrible revelation and she said, does that mean I married down? And I was like, well, you know, not everybody can win at this, baby. <laughs> so, right. Anyway, he, uh, she's not a big fan of that anymore, but, you know, the deed is done. Too bad. Yeah, 49% have to, 49 people have to be above and 49 below, I guess. So, um, but it, it, to your to your point, it's very interesting that we get, and rightly so, we get up in arms about following the world's music trends. We get up in arms about following the world's dress trends and all these things. But to your point, we kind of lose, we've lost track of where we are with and you use the word traditional but as you said biblical family roles um now where, where, what's that it's not practical right because right. the ministry makes demands 
Um, I think I think it was Bob Jones Sr. I'm not sure. He 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 would say that uh, biblical responsibilities or biblical duties never conflict. I don't know if I believe that or not. I think there is conflict, but that conflict just has to be resolved scripturally. God can't work and say, well, if we don't put them in this position, this position's unfilled and the ministry will suffer. No. If if we exercise faith and do the right thing, then God can bless. If we do the expedient thing, then we just we, we shut off God's blessings because it's like, okay, God, you don't have to bless. We got this handled. It's like the church that says, well, we don't have good musicians, so we use canned music that has, you know, drums and, and and you know, it's basically rock music or southern gospel music that we pipe into our churches. Now, we wouldn't have these musicians in. They're probably smoking in a, in a studio somewhere recording. And, you know, the music has too much beat and it's fleshly and everything else or, or any, you know— Anything like that, but we we have to. And I've heard church, we, we have to do this because our musicians aren't where they ought to be. Well, maybe you'll never have those kind of musicians because you're unwilling to take a stand against you know worldliness in your music, and and you 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 surrender to expediency. So, to whatever degree you're willing to be biblical, that's the degree to which God can bless you. And we, and we we know this in principle, but we have a hard time living it out sometimes. Sure. By the way, this segment brought to you by Diet Coke, um, the official sponsor of my ministry of many, many, many years. All right. Well, I, I, I was going to say, I did appreciate their um, Super Bowl com- commercial about inclusivity and, and let's all get together <laughs> and all that stuff. We, we have a no. Sunday afternoon service, and so <laughs> I was able to watch it entirely. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah. You know, what is it? We, we have to be aware of uh, Homo Depot. And uh, I think Ford and and, and McDonald's. I, in fact, I didn't go to McDonald's for a year because they had some some commercial in Indonesia about you know some sort of. It, I'm sure it was homosexual. It always is. But I got to the point really where you know somebody will come to me, preacher. Do you know what they're doing at Walmart? I'm like, shut up. Don't tell me because I need Walmart. <laughs> you know? Right. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah, 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 yeah. If it's egregious and they throw it in my face, then I'm responsible. But if you don't tell me, then I can keep drinking Diet Coke. And I didn't right. watch that commercial. And that, that's a good excuse, even though we're broadcasting on, on Facebook, YouTube and all that. It's a good excuse to stay off of social media because oh, someone's always up in arms about what Target oh, did and what everybody I did. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need yeah. Walmart. Stop. Yeah, and, and, and speaking of, of the practical side of things, sometimes um, somebody uh, um, ba- back in the day, uh, and I get Pastor Romaldi's day on my boss and you know uh, my father-in-law and those guys. There was you know people at Hiles Anderson. They, they wouldn't shop at places with with alcohol that sold alcohol and all that stuff. Yeah, and Pastor Romaldi. Um, I'm trying to remember the time frame. He might be watching right now. He could, he could straighten me out. But I, I think he, he might have had he, he he was like he was a spouse of that, and then came home to Pennsylvania, where everywhere sells alcohol. It's not like you can just pick and choose. It's just I'm going to grow my own beets now, I guess, because nobody <laughs> nobody's right. So no, brother brother Hiles and brother Rice used to cross swords on that because brother Rice wouldn't eat a restaurant that served alcohol. And Brother Hiles would, and uh, I don't know that he drank other than Banaka, but he he um, but he wouldn't do that. And Brother Hiles retorted to him. He says, "Well, you'll get on an airplane, which is basically just a flying bar." And he goes, "I, I and and 
you know, it, 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 in, being consistent is about one of the, well, I don't know if it's the toughest, but it's, it's among the toughest things you'll do. Right. Maintaining right. consistency. Sure. Well, we, we have a hard out at 4.15, um, and I greatly appreciate you taking time. So we, we won't take too much more time, so that way we don't get started off on, on something else takes us past that time. But um, it, to jump back into that, that philosophy, the, the, the obligation to serve – family roles is there a third or or what does that kind of encapsulate what you the thought there um ministry is is awesome Mm -hmm. okay it is not and my father my father gave me a gift and we went through a pretty nasty church split when i was 15 years old and he refused to speak negatively about people involved. Some of the people that were on the other side, my father was the assistant pastor of the church. He was loyal to the pastor. The pastor emeritus, who had not been the pastor um, for several years, reasserted himself and created just a, a really toxic environment. And I loved the pastor emeritus. I loved the pastor. I loved my father. My Sunday school teacher ended up on the other side of it. And so the pastor emeritus is saying nasty things about my dad. I wasn't aware of all of it at the time. The, the, the former or my Sunday school teacher is on the other side. So he's saying nasty things about my father and, and the pastor of the church. And it's just a mess. And but I had no idea because they protected me from it and they refused to be negative. They told me this, that, look, you know, this has happened. And we're probably going to have to leave because rather than split the church, my dad left. And so did the, the, the pastor, rather than split the church, he just, he left. And so I learned that level of concern for the body of Christ. But I also, at a very impressionable time in my life, wasn't polluted. I wasn't, I didn't become jaded. There, frankly, were some other ministry kids that got the whole scoop, you know, on everything and they got, negative and they never never shook that they they got you know ministry in their mind always had this little asterisk beside it that that's where people hurt you and that's where people say terrible things now did i become more and more aware of what happened yes but i'm eternally grateful for my parents refusing to be negative they weren't gossips and so the idea of ministry in my heart and mind wasn't heartache and heartbreak. It was, you know, that's just what we did and we enjoyed it. And it was a life. It was, you know, I involved uh, our family, you know, my wife serves with me, my children. I mean, I don't know how many camps I preached at. My kids have been there and conferences and, and, you know, we just all do it together. And ministry is something that we do now. God has now called my son and we'll see what happens with my daughters. You know, I'm going to have to rethink that whole God calling your girls thing. But um, my girls have said to me, several of them have said this to me, I, I can't imagine doing anything else because we love the ministry. It is an honor to serve. It is awesome to serve. We get to, not have to, get to. And so I've tried to bring that same sense of optimism. Look, there's enough we have to be negative about. And there are stands that we have to take and all that, but we can still do this with a smile on our face. And I think in some instances, um, we have driven some kids away because 
we've made the ministry all about the negative aspects. Are there negative aspects? Sure. But do you understand the links that God went to in order to offer us a positive message? Because once we sinned, the only avenue available to us was death and hell. That was it. Once man fell, and in order for for the Lord to have an option for us of a positive eternity, it cost him his son. And it's important. You know, the Lord knows everything about us, but you know, he allows me to come to his presence every day. And he never tells me all the stuff that I've done wrong. He knows it. I know it. But he never does. And his message to me is positive. And I think we've hurt ourselves a bit because we think that it's exclusive that I can't I can't be you know, a militant fundamentalist and you know have a good time at the same time and that's just not true they're not mutually exclusive uh, I think I think the Lord enjoyed all that he did with his disciples I think they were you know 13 guys that hung out and went fishing and then hit ministry hard as they could and he defended them when the Pharisees would accuse them of different things he would defend them and and you know maybe maybe they were breaking tradition by not washing their hands, but you know you know David ate the showbread and come on guys, and and Jesus had a sense of humor. I mean, some of the stuff he did was well, okay. So you want to know why I have the authority to do this? Tell me about the baptism of John, and you know a lot of times he would zing the Pharisees and and they and they would you know they would say, well, we can't tell you, and he said, well, I guess I can't tell you either, and all the crowd would go, ooh, you could almost hear it. He, he had a, a sense of humor. He had a sense of purpose, and they, neither one of them were conflict. And so, ministry is enjoyable. It's an honor to serve. We get to do this, and if we're blessed enough that God calls us to do it full time, then that is the life that we all want to live. And I prayed for that every day. That I pray for my children. I always pray, Lord. I can't call them, and I never would. But if you can use my children in full-time service, that's what I want. And so the third part of that is it's an unbelievable privilege to serve God. It's awesome. And he that desireth the office of bishop desireth the good work. It's something that we ought to aspire to. Now, you can't call yourself, but you certainly can make yourself available. And you have to make sure that your attitude is – one of uh, this is just an, a privilege that I have to serve. If not, I have to serve God. I get to, and I and I've been blessed to be able to do that. And I've tried to share that philosophy with young people through the years, Amen. to whatever degree I did. You know, praise the Lord, and I've fallen short. Oh, well, that's just me. Amen. Well, I don't think there's much editorial needed uh, to tag on to to <laughs> that. Editorialize. So, Look, I'm going to go pick up my daughter from school. Because uh, that's what I do. But I've enjoyed getting to know Brother Micah. Maybe we'll do this again sometime, and we won't be heavy. We'll talk about how he likes David Weber and science fiction and uh, how that's only scratching the surface because there's also Josh Dizel and John Ringo. And then you got to get into Vince Flynn and, you know, Tom Clancy. All the way back to some Isaac Asimov back in the day. I mean, go go way back. The thing is, I like Brad Thor. Uh, Brad Thor because he's still alive. I liked Vince. My, my my three in techno thrillers were Vince Flynn, Tom Clancy, and Brad Thor. And and Tom Clancy 
and Vince Flynn died within a year of each other, both of them with uh, with cancer. And now Brad Thor, and I think, you know, Greeny and some other people have picked up where the other ones have left off. They're understudies. But uh, anyway, we'll talk about something else some other time. The stuff that you really enjoy. You want no, to know no, no. what do pastors do in their free time? <laughs> Maybe we'll pull back the veil. There but you I go. enjoy Brother McCurry, and uh, our prayers at Peachtree Road are with Becca. And uh, we want the Lord to raise her up completely. I'm glad for the healing she's experienced. And, of course, Brother Grimaldi. And friend for, I guess, good night, uh, almost uh, 18 years now, Brother Grimaldi. And there's a story I need to tell you about him. And I'll just drive fast to get my girls. The first time I went to Grimaldi's church, I'm with a tour group, and I have a uh, a Garmin Nuvi. This before phones had the navigation. And so I'm driving to his church. It's up in Minnesota by Rochester. And the Nuvi takes me into the parking lot of the porn store. And I have a, a, a van with a tour group in it. And I'm like, we can't go here. And so I turned out real quick. And I, I put it in again. And I pulled in again. And I'm at the porn store. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. It's, the, 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 there's something wrong. So I finally called him. He goes, no, you're in the right place. I said, no, I'm not in the right place. He goes, no, you have to go through the parking lot of the porn store and there'll be a, a driveway in the back. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Please, no one. I'm glad no one had camera phones back then. But uh, that was my first introduction to, um, uh, well, I, I'd known Brother Grimaldi a little time before. It was my first time at his church. But I've had a friendship with him for a while. And uh, he's just a great guy. And well, Brother well, McCurry, well, I appreciate well, your time. Yeah, so one of the fun things about live is he actually commented in on Facebook, said he enjoyed all the times at Camp Joy on the deck solving all the world's problems. Oh, so. oh, oh. It's amazing the world has any problems left. Yeah, well, uh, until next time, thank you so much, sir. Greatly appreciate it, and I hope to have you on soon. Have a good one. Take care, bro. This was Mike McCurry Live number four with Pastor Jay Reed. Thank you, Pastor Reed. Had a great time, and in all sincerity, would love to have you on again sometime soon. Thank you for listening.